0: If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen to us, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Look for AZ Adopt Podcast.
1: So today we're going to talk about adoption misconceptions. One of our goals with the podcast is really to clear up these misconceptions and free up notions about adoption that are untrue, uh, dispel stereotypes, and really dive into what adoption really is. Because if we can spread knowledge about adoption and make sure that it's accurate and inform the public, we are going to change the perception of what adoption is and hopefully get everybody on track so it's just the norm. We're going to go into three different topics today. We're going to talk about common misconceptions about making an adoption plan, about uh, birth mother living expenses, and then also misconceptions about birth fathers. And these are going to be real general, but yet I'm going to dive into them and give information that even if you are very seasoned in the adoption world, you might still learn something today. One of the questions I get often when I do answer the birth mother phone is, is it too late to make an adoption plan? Maybe a mom has gone to the hospital, delivered the baby, and once she sees the baby, she decides, hey, I love the baby, but I just am not ready to parent. And, you know, sometimes I will get that question asked of me when they're five months pregnant. Sometimes they are nine months pregnant and they're worried because they think it's too late. So you do not have to make an adoption plan before you deliver the baby. What we tell women is that the sooner you make your adoption choice, and you start on your adoption journey, the more time you're allowing yourself to become familiar and comfortable with all of the aspects of adoption. And it'll give you time to bond with the adoptive family that you choose. So you will have more time to prepare for the adoption aspect of your
0: pregnancy. And as we've said so many times before, No adoption journey is the same as another one, you know, that even with the same birth mother, it's not always the same as the first time around or whatever. But there was one case that Lisa, my wife, worked on and the girl had the baby and she gave herself one month. So I think she had it in December and she said on this date in January, if I feel I can't parent this child I'm going to, you know, go forward with the adoption journey. And that's exactly what she did. One month after the birth of the baby, she called my wife and got things rolling. And it was so, yeah, it's not too late at any point to say, you know what, this the best choice for this child is to proceed with an adoption plan.
1: Now, I'm I'm actually really glad that you brought that up because I get that question a lot. Well, you know, do they ever, do birth mothers ever come in and change their minds? Like they're going to do the option and then they decide they want a parent. And if they do that, do they then come back? Now I do know that, that your wife in her adoption, you know, she's got decades of experience. She has seen this. Mm-hmm. I in my 17 years have never seen it. Right. I have had birth mothers, plan on coming, you know, they'll call me and they'll say, okay, I can't do this. I do want to come in. You know, I am ready to place the baby and they start making preparations, but they don't complete that. So there are entities that I've heard lots of stories about, but I personally have never seen it with our agency. With regards to choosing the adoptive family, there are some adoption agencies that feel it is best served, that they choose the adoptive family and do the match themselves. That's not something that we believe at our adoption agency. We believe it is absolutely the birth mother's choice that we get her preferences. We get the adoptive family preferences. We have a match coordinator that, that matches those two uh, preferences up and then gathers adoption profiles for the birth mother to choose once she has done that. And there are situations though, that, that adoptive, that birth mothers do not want to choose an adoptive family you know there may be you know a situation where uh, the child was conceived out of rape and the birth mother is trying to distance herself from the pregnancy and even in some aspects the adoption journey uh, as much as possible and so in trying to remove herself she has asked for those decisions to be made on her behalf but those that's not that's not the commonality I mean do have we ever seen that yes is it the norm no
0: Now, when somebody does come to you and says, you know, I want no part of this decision, do they still give you some preferences and say, I'd like it to go with this type of couple or how does that usually work?
1: Yes. In most circumstances, absolutely. They still, you know, they may have a preference of what type of adoptive family or maybe where the adoptive family either resides or doesn't reside. You know, they may not want them to be in the same state as them in Arizona, or maybe they do. Uh, So. Those, the generalities in terms of preferences, in most cases of those, I mean, we're talking about a small sample to begin with. However, within that small sample, I have seen a variety. I've seen both. One of the the other questions is sometimes when, when women come into our program, they are really choosing adoption because they have either a history with uh the Department of Children's Child Safety, uh, Child Protective Services, and they know that they're going to get involved and they don't want their child going that route. And so the question and the concern is, is that, you know, until the adoption is finalized, will my baby go into foster care? And the answer is no, your child does not go into foster care. The child uh, will go from the hospital in the majority of cases straight with the adoptive family, There's no hiccup along the way, unless there is a situation where, you know, you have a birth mother that is incarcerated and it may take us longer to get the paperwork signed so that we can place the baby with the adoptive family. And in that situation, we have special uh, certified homes that that care for the baby. And in that situation, um, it's not a foster situation. You can change your mind about adoption anytime after the baby's born. Again, that's that's not true. That's not true. In the state of Arizona, consents cannot be signed prior to seventy-two hours. Once those consents are signed, they are irrevocable. So there's no changing your mind.
0: You can right, change it's a done deal
1: prior to signing consents, but after you sign consents, it's it's not. Another one is that nobody will want to adopt a birth mother's baby because she's done drugs. As we've talked about over and over in our podcast, uh, there are many many families that want to adopt a child
0: mm-hmm.
1: regardless of the drug exposure that a baby
0: may or may not have and there have been many babies that we've you know placed that have been in the nicu for weeks and you know sometimes days sometimes weeks because of this uh, drug exposure
1: correct and you know what we what we're finding as a whole is that the babies are getting amazing care when they're delivered. They are, you know, really uh, recovering and they're able, they are able to go home and and, and join that family. And so I think that we just keep moving forward. Is drug use, you know, when a, a woman is pregnant ideal? No. Do we wish that it wasn't a factor? Of course we wish it wasn't a factor, but it is and it's a lot of people's reality. And so we need to, again, meet people where they are. This is what the baby's been exposed to. And you just keep moving forward. So, and, and again, it's not for every adoptive family, which is why, you know, it is disclosed to the best of our abilities and we recommend education on drug exposure during the pregnancy so that they know what to expect.
0: Right. And like you've said in the past, they should talk to a, a- doctor who has dealt with babies that have been exposed to drugs so that they know the the reality of it and deal with reality on reality's terms.
1: Right. And again, that doctor needs to be a doctor that sees this all day, every day. Right. It's not a doctor in an area of town that sees one, maybe two a month at best. Mm This is somebody who practices in this and understands really what is out there, not just statistics and data, but in real time, what's going on. Another real big misconception that I, I get asked on the phone by birth mothers is, I will never see my baby again after I place them for adoption, right? Like that's it. And as long as you choose an open adoption and have a post-adoption communication agreement that specifies you know, letters, pictures, and or visits, that's not true. You will get to, You're, you can still... Be a part of this child's life. You can still uh, watch them grow up. You can still know where they are and how they're doing, and and celebrate their first tooth and their first steps and their first word, and you know, get the first day of kindergarten pictures and all of those special moments. You can still partake in those, not maybe from a distance, but you're still there. You know, you're still you're not missing them.
0: You're part and of it.
1: Right. And uh-huh. and that was my my big issue, especially when, you know, I with uh, some of my children, I was working outside the home initially and I wasn't able to be with uh, some of my kiddos early on uh, all day, 24 uh-huh. seven. And I was always afraid that I was going to miss it. You know, when I, I used to, I remember telling my oldest daughter, no, don't walk when mommy's at work. <laughs> I want to wait until I get home don't take your first steps like just wait for me and you know we'd have these little pep talks before I'd, I'd go to work in the morning and, and it was
0: more for you than it was for her so
1: absolutely and I actually had a, a nanny at the time for her and so I would I would tell the nanny like remember don't let her if, she, if she's close to walking like distract her and then put her down her. no you know? <laughs> no it was blocks or and she goes. don't worry if she walks or takes her first steps i won't tell you so to this day i believe that i was there and i'm going with that yep. so uh it was um, so with this you're not going to miss the first steps you're mm-hmm. going to get to experience those two and again maybe it through video chat sure it may be um but that's okay that's how a lot of parents you know if they are working get to see the child's first steps yeah So you can still be a part of that. So when we talk about birth, mother, living expenses, this is also one of those touchy subjects that everybody wants to kind of like talk about and understand, but it makes a lot of people uncomfortable because we're talking about money and babies. And then, you know, it borders on, you know, I don't want to be selling my baby. I don't want. So first of all, for clarity, that is illegal. Right. That's not what getting living expenses from an adoption agency is. Living expenses are to help fund the birth mother during her pregnancy and six to eight weeks afterwards, because the majority of women in the program are not working Hmm. and they're not able to work. And so they need that extra assistance during this time. So what the Arizona court, Does Again, this is is Arizona. So other states have different rules and regulations regarding their living expense laws. In Arizona, after the first $1,000 that has been dispersed to a birth mother, there must be a court order for any further monies to be dispersed. And that way the court can oversee each and every dollar to make sure that they feel that it is appropriate and necessary for the birth mother to receive that. Now, one of the things that I find exceedingly interesting is that a misconception about these expenses are, I'm automatically entitled to receive this. This is my money. Okay, we're going to back up a minute. This is not a birth mother's money. This is money that is being given by an adoption entity, usually on behalf of the adoptive family, to help support her during this time that we just discussed. So in order to be eligible to receive this, you have to meet a certain level of income or lack of level of income, uh-huh. if you will, in order to qualify for the court to say, yes, you really do need some assistance. Here you go. So not every person who walks through the door of an adoption agency is able to
0: receive living expenses. It's essentially money that is... In a way, kind of going to the child, not the mother, because it is to make sure that the mother is in a stable place and the baby is safe during the pregnancy. Isn't that correct?
1: Yes. It's actually for the mother and the baby. That is correct. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is so that we can make sure that she gets to her prenatal uh, visits safely, that she does have food to eat for her and the baby so that she does have a roof over her head and a safe place to go to sleep in. And... That is what they're for. The other misconception is because there is an, an affidavit that is filed with the court, a motion stating, you know, this is what we expect the birth mother to need or require during the course of her pregnancy and afterwards. Prior to it being filed, it is signed by the birth mother. And she acknowledges, you know, that she agrees that this expense is appropriate and necessary. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can be, you know, what appears to be a large sum of money. And so let's say a birth mother delivers two months early. She has a baby prematurely. And she's like, well, wait a minute. You know, because of those months that I thought I was going to get those living expense funds, is that still coming to me? No, that is not still coming to you. That is an estimate of what you are to receive if you were to go full term over the course of that time. It's not given to you all at once. You know, once it is approved by the judge, it is it is spread out, like I said, to cover the living expenses, mm-hmm. which is why agencies like ours pay most of the living expenses directly to the provider. So like the, the place, the housing is paid directly to the housing and, and the cell phones are paid directly to the cell phone provider and, and those types to make sure that the, the funds that are given are allocated are spent directly on whatever entity it was allocated for.
0: What are the laws, restrictions, and guidelines when it comes to adoptive parents getting gifts for the birth mother?
1: That is a really, really gray area, and it's a really good question. So at our agency, what we do is we limit it, uh, ideally, to during the course of the pregnancy, if they want to do gifts here and there, we try to keep them around $10 For the holidays, maybe a $25 gift because you don't want it to be misconstrued. You don't want it to represent something else. And we always monitor what is given. So if there is a gift given to a birth mother, it is done through us so that we can make sure we're safeguarding the adoption and it doesn't. Um, reflect coercion or imply anything other than the generosity of a gift being given.
0: Now, how about after the pregnancy is completed and the adoption is like, I mean, they'll know this uh, birth mother probably the rest of their lives. Obviously, that can't be monitored.
1: No, absolutely not. So after, after the adoption finalized, what transpires between The birth mother and the adoptive family is their business at that point once Uh the adoption is completely finalized. However, where there would be an issue with that is if something was agreed upon or discussed prior, prior, then there's an issue. Uh But again, if there is anything regarding that area, we would recommend that somebody seek an attorney's advice because that falls into a legality issue. And, you know, I know that whenever we have any questions, we go directly to our attorney. Another question that we get from birth mothers about living expenses is, well, I ran through this week's uh, living expense money, so I, I need more. And it's not that simple. Uh-huh. It would take um, you know, explaining on the birth mother's behalf, going back to the court to get permission and approval, and it, it wouldn't be something that could happen in two days. Right. So it's, it's a process.
0: Now, do you get that a lot of, of birth mothers who run out of their money prior to the next installment or whatever well, you call it?
1: A lot. No, uh, has it ever happened? Yes. And what I have found is that when it happens once, it will often continue to happen. Right. And so that's when a conversation needs to be had about what's happening with the living expense money and why it's not lasting. And sometimes it's a legitimate reason maybe her living expenses were allocated based upon her getting food stamps as well and maybe her food stamps got cut and so she's not getting the amount of funding for food that she was getting prior and right. so that that would make sense to go through it and do a new uh financial affidavit and resubmit another question that we get about living expenses are i am entitled to receive these these living expenses because the court approved it And that's my money, as we talked about. That's a common thing that we've heard. This is my money. And what what we have to explain and what's really important is this. The adoptive family is providing these funds because they want to provide the best possible environment for you to finish your pregnancy and uh, go through your labor and delivery and then recover afterwards. If, if you're not complying by going to doctor's appointments and you are not uh, following the agreements of, you know, the agency that like, if you're working with us, you're not following our agreements, you're uh-huh. getting kicked out of your hotels and you're not following, you know, the protocol that we have established. You're not meeting with us at appointments we set up. You're not following through and getting the counseling that is in your service agreement then is it possible that the adoptive family may say, you know what, I I need them to go to the doctor and I need to make sure that they're still pregnant, there's still a viable pregnancy. Those are reasonable requests. Could that um, affect the living expenses that a birth mother is receiving? Possibly yes, because if we don't have knowledge that she's still pregnant and that she's still working an adoption plan, then that can create an issue.
0: Yeah, it's hard to justify Continuing to give the money if she refuses to go to the doctor and. An adoption
1: plan, living expenses are not required in an adoption plan. You don't, it's not something that is, is always part of an adoption plan. There are many States where they really don't allow or want living expenses given. Uh And so it's, there can't be a created sense of entitlement on behalf of a birth mother so that, you know, with her thinking, well, now that I'm doing this plan, like I'm funded, I can do what I want to do. That's not really the way it works. This is part of a program and everybody has a part they play in the adoption journey, you know, as we have responsibilities as the adoption entity, we are there to make sure we're dispersing living expenses and that we're, we're making sure that the birth mother has a way to get to and from the uh, doctor's appointments and we're collecting medical records and we're, you know, providing uh, counseling appointments. The adoptive family is providing the funding for the the birth mother's living expenses and, and they are providing their adoption home study and they're doing their part. The birth mother must do her part as well. She uh-huh. has to attend those appointments and she needs to attend the counseling appointments and, and meet with the adoption caseworker. So there, everybody has to, to do their role in order for this to to be seamless and to have a good outcome. One other piece that I think is interesting about adoption expenses is agencies in in the state of Arizona, and again, I can only speak for the state of Arizona, will often start living expenses at a different point in a birth mother's pregnancy. And that can be left up to the discretion of an adoption agency. There are certain agencies that won't work with a birth mother until she's five months pregnant. And there's other agencies, like our agency, that will work with them sooner. And so... One thing for you know, birth mothers to understand and for adoptive families to understand is that when you are researching an agency, this is a big deal. And it's not just about living expenses or about uh, what this agency can offer compared to this agency. It's really what philosophies and belief systems along with the protocol and procedures that that agency uses on a daily basis. If that's really a good fit for you, because sometimes they are a good fit and sometimes they're not going into common misconceptions regarding birth fathers, you know, birth fathers are one entity of adoption that we don't as a society understand. I don't think as much as we do about birth mothers or as we do about adoptive families or even adoptees. And so what we don't know, people are often afraid of, you know, conceptually. They are afraid of, you know, if I what's going to go on with the birth father? Is he going to be a part of the adoption or not? Oftentimes, the birth father is a variable factor. You don't know if he's going to help the adoption go forward, whether he's going to be a hindrance or whether he's going to be completely
0: a non-factor.
1: Correct. And so uh, one question that I get when birth fathers come into the program, so if they're new to the program and they are there maybe at the birth mother's intake, Oftentimes, birth fathers will ask, well, you know, what do they need to do to get their expenses and to get their cell phone bill paid? And the hotel can go ahead and go in their name. No, it cannot. So the, the court does not recognize uh, that the birth father uh, cannot work during uh, the birth mother's pregnancy. And that he cannot provide for himself because his girlfriend or wife or friend is pregnant, mm-hmm. that he actually can work during the pregnancy. And there's no medical reason that he cannot work.
0: Uh, and it's not a factor in the development of the baby one way or another, whether he's at work or not. So that's another factor in, when it comes to living expenses.
1: Correct. So the living expenses really include costs, you know, for medical and hospital care, examinations for the child and the mother, the uh-huh. counseling fees, the legal fees, the agency fees, and those aren't really things that impact, affect, or the birth father partakes in. He may attend a counseling session, and that is absolutely something uh, that we, as an agency, will will pay for, or and I'm sure that a lot of other entities would as well. But uh, usually he's not going for prenatal exams on himself or anything like that. So there wouldn't be a need or a causation for uh, him to receive living expenses. Uh, Another question I get asked a lot is I have to have the birth father's permission to place a baby for adoption. As we've talked about in the past, you do not need his permission. You really don't even need his cooperation as long as you're not legally married to him. If he is a boyfriend, a friend, somebody that you're not legally married to, then we follow the process that we've talked about before about serving the birth father. If we can't find him, then we do the publication. And then he has to respond to establish paternity with the court. And there's a process that goes along with that in order for him to basically interfere with the adoption. But on the other hand, he can choose to sign consents and be a part of the adoption plan which would then enable him to also have a part in the post-adoption communication. So that is really a benefit to him, but he doesn't have to give his permission per se. Then begs the question, does the birth father have to sign consents? The answer is no. One question that I have gotten over the past 17 years by both the birth mother and the birth father is the birth fathers often feel a sense of entitlement to living in the hotel with the birth mother. I will get the statement from them. If let's say they get into an argument and the birth mother asks him to leave, I will often get the argument from him. Well, that's my baby. Okay. Yes, he may be the biological father of the baby. However, being the biological father of the baby that she's carrying does not entitle him to sleep underneath the same roof as her that is being provided by an adoption agency. And for that very reason, all of the uh, housing agreements and the cell phone provider, it's always in the birth mother's name, because again, our goal and responsibility is to provide for her. Now, if she chooses to have him be a part of it, that's, that's absolutely fine. And we don't have an issue with that. And we will support that. But at the same time, it's not a requirement that he um, also receive those same benefits as her. And again, as we just discussed, if a birth father does sign consents, he is eligible to have his own post-adoption agreement. If he does not sign, that will eliminate that ability. Uh, At that point, if, you know, they have an on-again, off-again relationship and he wanted to be a part of it, he could always, you know, be there maybe when she logs on, Uh, we use Child Connect. So it's an online portal that we use. But so if he wanted to see, you know, the child growing up and they were together and he didn't sign consent, so he doesn't have his own agreement, then he could look at it with her.
0: But he doesn't get the right to have his own Visitation type thing. Yeah, the consent is a big deal in in that.
1: It is. And so with regard to birth fathers, if if they really want to be a part of the adoption, we recommend that they stay and maintain their role in the adoption. You know, they, they understand that there are limitations to what an adoption agency can do for them and with them. And so there are there are aspects of the program that are really geared towards the birth mother. Now that's not to say that the birth father isn't an important role in the adoption. He very much is. But when you're discussing living expenses and benefits that a birth mother can receive, there there's not an equal an
0: equal distribution. And there's really not an equal justification for it. So correct.
1: To sum up what we've talked about today, I think the most important thing is, is to make sure that when you are reading about adoption or you're learning about adoption or you're, you're hearing people talk about adoption, make sure the information is accurate. You know, fact check. Uh, remember that different states have different rules and regulations, different statutes, and make sure that you're getting your information from a credible source that has experience in the adoption world because it's always evolving and changing and you want to stay on top of it, so that you are, if you're sharing it, dispersing correct information, because that's what we're trying to do is to get the right information out there.
0: If you're pregnant and considering adoption, we are here for you and understand what you're going through. We've helped hundreds of women place their babies for adoption, and we want to help you as well. We have a pregnancy crisis hotline available 24 7 by phone or text at 623 695 4112 or you can reach us on our toll-free number at 1-800-340-9665. We can make an immediate appointment with you to get you to a safe place, provide food and clothing, and help you get started on creating an Arizona adoption plan, or just give you more information. Check out our blogs on our website at azpregnancyhelp.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by looking for AZ Adopt Podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen to us. Birth Mother Matters and Adoption was written and produced by Kelly Rourke Scary and edited by me. Thanks go out to Grapes for letting us use their song, I Don't Know, as our theme song. Join us next time on Birth Mother Matters and Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I'm Ron Raines, and we'll see you then.